Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by www.livinglies.wordpress.com, GTC Honored, and The Garfield Firm, serving all 50 states with news and analysis of the latest bank scams against borrowers, homeowners, consumers, and investors, and providing legal representation throughout Florida. This program is for general information only. It is not a solicitation for services or legal representation and should never be used as a substitute for advice from a licensed professional. And now, here's world-renowned financial expert, attorney, and blogger, Neil Garfield. This Thursday, July 30th, 2015, and I'm tired. I've been answer, answering a lot of questions this week, both about rescission and modification, and we're going to cover both of those tonight. And if possible, I'm going to take a couple of questions from our listening audience. Tonight, we again answer questions about rescission and modification loans and workouts, and again bring back our old friend, Standing and remind you that this is a jurisdictional question that can be raised at any time, even after trial and even during appeal. If you're not talking about standing, especially in a contest over rescission, then you're headed for loss of traction and probably an order against you. And we talk about the effects of rescission on standing. Rescission, remember, makes the loan contract null and void. It's canceled as of the moment the rescission is dropped in the mail. Rescission makes the note void, not voidable. Rescission makes the mortgage void, not voidable. You get into an argument on whether it's a statute of limitations or statute of repose or any of those issues that are potential challenges to the act of rescission, which is legally binding the moment it is put in the mail, if you get into an argument about the challenges that some party wishes to make without them having filed a lawsuit, you are once again being drawn into an argument and into an arena where you should not be. Rescission, which is offensive rather than defensive, and puts the burden where it belongs on the pretender lenders, but only if you aggressively hold their feet to the fire. They are going to use every means possible to get away from the effect that the rescission had. But there is no getting away from it. The Supreme Court has spoken. The TILA rescission statutes are unambiguous, and that's not an opinion. That's a fact because the Supreme Court said it. So it's now a fact whether you agree with it or not. And any judge 
that starts interpreting the effect of rescission is wrong and committing error, no matter how obvious it seems to the judge that three years has passed or that it's a statute of repose or that it's a statute of limitations or that equitable tolling doesn't apply or that uh, it's a purchase money mortgage, all that stuff. If the judge is headed in that direction, they need to be reoriented to the fact that they don't have a right to be considering that unless a proper lawsuit is brought and standing is established for jurisdiction of the court to consider the challenges which this other party wants to make. And if they want to make that challenge, then they got to do it without void instruments, which are the note and mortgage. They have to do it by showing they have an actual economic interest in the loan, not a piece of paper which talks about it. I'm broadcasting live from Broward County, Florida, brought to you by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, Amgar, and the Garfield Firm with offices in South Florida. And this show is specially brought to you because of donations to the Living Lies blog from listeners like you. Thank you. And for those of you who are not yet contributors, we ask that you call 954-495-9867 or go to our page on the uh, blog where you can log in and make your contribution and pledge whatever you think you can afford. On the West Coast, you can dial 520-405-1688. Going to the blog will probably be a lot faster and easier. Living Lives now approaching 11 million visits, is the number one place on the Internet to get information, forms, facts, and opinions from a variety of sources on foreclosure, defense, rescission, consumer loans, and even student loans. Our mission is to share as much information as we can without charge to help beleaguered homeowners and other consumers who may not be aware of the effect the housing crisis has had on their lives. And we are accomplishing our mission here as more and more lawyers, more and more judges, more and more borrowers are seeing that the facts are not as they appeared when they thought they had a closing and now they find that they didn't have the closing when they thought they had a closing and not as they appear on the papers that are being used by the banks, trustees, and services to foreclose. And for the judges that just don't get it, the U.S. Supreme Court explained it to them. The court, the trial judge, may not interpret a statute that is clear on its face. Rescission under the Truth in Lending Act is about procedure. And the procedure is pretty much the same thing as non-judicial foreclosures. But in rescission, the borrower cancels the deal with a letter. In non-judicial foreclosure, the so-called lender, for, in effect, cancels the deal with a letter and sells the property. And it is the other side that must bring a legal action. When a borrower opposes a non-judicial foreclosure, he or she or they face daunting tasks to establish their right to bring defenses or claims. If the borrower does not bring those claims, 
in court, then the non-judicial sale goes through. No letter from the borrower will suffice rejecting the claim that they have a right to sell the property. They have to file an action in court to stop it. If the lender does not bring its claims in court against the rescission, already effective by operation of law, it remains binding on all parties and the deal is dead. Rescission is non-judicial cancellation of the mortgage and runs by much the same rules as non-judicial foreclosure. You can use the arguments that the banks have used for the last 10 years against them. But instead of the, of, of the banks or servicers sending the letter, it's the borrower. The borrower has the right to cancel the deal with a letter, and that letter has the full force of law. It's an established fact. Once it's in the mail saying, I hereby cancel the above-reference loan, that, that loan is canceled. That note is now void. That mortgage is now void. And everything that happens afterwards is actually illegal and void if it's relying on the note and the mortgage or the, uh, the so-called loan contract. The attack should be as an attack on the consummation of the loan, stating that there was no consummation, or if there was, it wasn't when they said it was. And that raises the uh, uh, issue of fact that the other side has to prove. But in the letter of rescission, my, I, I continue to recommend to people that they don't give any reasons for the rescission, that they don't mention the date of the closing because that's going to be regarded as having conceded the fact that that was the date of consummation and uh, making it all the more difficult in what will be a difficult time for a lot of people who have sent rescissions, whether it was years ago, months ago, or days ago. So instead of the borrower having a small window of time in non-judicial foreclosures, it's the bank or servicer or actually the creditor who has a short window of time and some other problems that they can't overcome. Because in this era of securitization fail, which is what Adam Levitin called it, and I think that's a good term to use, the actual creditor is being hit, hidden behind the curtain. It's the investors. But they don't have any interest in the note and mortgage because the trust that they thought they were giving the money to never got the money, and therefore the trust never bought the loan, and therefore the so-called servicer for the trust doesn't have any right to service the loan because the Trust doesn't have the loan. The burden is on the bank to attempt to vacate the rescission all within 20 days from the receipt of the notice of rescission. But here's the rub. They've got to establish jurisdiction 
that is to say their standing by saying that they are a party who is being injured by this wrongful rescission they have to plead that the rescission took place and they have to show that they are actually a party with an economic interest in the deal and they can't use the note and mortgage because those are void as of that moment in time and according to their pleading they will avoid having to file that pleading at all costs because if they do they are essentially uh, admitting the, their, themselves into a, a painted corner so in non-judicial cancellation of the mortgage it's the bank that must bring a lawsuit to stop it and just like the TRO that borrowers seek when they go to court to stop a non-judicial foreclosure the bank must go to court and make allegations as to first standing look at any form that shows how lawsuits need to be created the first thing you have to do is establish jurisdiction and make a, uh, a short plain statement of ultimate facts that basically says you've got standing to be in that courtroom and to complain of the act of the wrongful act of, of the borrower if, we, if they get past the the argument about standing you're going to have a much rougher time if you stand firm on that it looks to me and a lot of other uh, lawyers around the country that you'll have them fairly well nailed the question is what you do after you have sent the, the notice of rescission and that extends to rescissions that were sent years ago and there's a bunch of different answers uh, there are many nuances also caused by state and federal law if you look at my blog tomorrow morning you'll see a number of those issues addressed but one thing cannot be denied the rescission is effective by operation of law when it is mailed and nothing except another operation of law can change that that is crystal clear now but the simplicity of it appears to be confusing people in what had been a convoluted world of securitization rescissions may have been sent years ago months ago or even just days ago they all do the same thing they cancel the loan contract and render the note and mortgage void and void means void no interpretation needed and no interpretation allowed because of the Supreme Court's decision in Jessenowski so when a judge rules on the effectiveness of, re of rescission they are already committing error because no judge's order is needed to make the rescission effective and any judge's order that changes the effectiveness of the rescission is contrary to the statute no judge's order is allowed unless the matter is properly filed before the court and jurisdiction has been established if the creditor is really a creditor then they can bring up that three years has expired that the consummation of the deal occurred on this day or that time or whatever but if they can't pass the threshold of jurisdiction they have no right to win much less present uh, the uh, issues 
that a lot of people are finding themselves trapped in when they go to court. This must be strategically planned in precise detail with the lawyer understanding all the nuances so he's not caught uh, like a deer in the headlights. The only way the judge can hear it is if the so-called lender files a complaint, alleges standing and jurisdiction, and then states their challenge to the rescission. If they can't establish standing and jurisdiction, they can't complain about anything. If they don't have standing, it means it is none of their business. And note well that the real parties in interest in most of these foreclosures are not the trust who never owned the loan, nor the investors who are getting paid through servicer, what is called servicer advances, thus nullifying the allegation of default, not the trustees, not anyone with a power of attorney. The servicer wants to push the case to foreclosure because it is under instructions to do so and it is getting paid to do so. It is not getting the kind of payment that you would expect for modification or settlement because foreclosure is the only way that the master servicer might recover its volunteer payments to the investors who are the only parties in, uh, to whom the money is owed or could be owed. Rescission threatens those claims for servicer advances, which are really paid by the investment banks from a slush fund, which was actually disclosed in the prospectuses, so you could go read it yourself. The interesting thing is that the servicer advances are now being subjected to claims of securitization. So they're bundling those up. Even while they say they don't exist, they're bundling them up and selling them to investors, which would seem to me would be an admission that they do exist or that they're uh, committing more criminal behavior. So why are modifications so complex and sluggish? The answer should not surprise most of the people who listen to me on this program or read the, the Living Lies blog. The answer is that we can't get modifications because we're never talking with the creditor. We are talking with intermediaries who have a vested interest that is in conflict with the interests of the investor whose money they are playing with and in conflict with the rights of the homeowner who is called the borrower in what turns out to be an unconsummated transaction. Ultimately, if rescission is strategically employed in the correct manner, you either win on the basis that the rescission canceled the deal or you win because you'll be able to establish that there was no consummation of the deal. We are dealing with an intermediary whose instructions are to get the loan into foreclosure. So they tell borrowers whatever they have to that'll get them to go into default, or if they're in default, to get them deeper into default. You have to be 90 days behind before we can consider you for a modification. Well, that's not true, and it never was. 
but it's the message that's gone out from every so-called servicer and bank to every borrower. And the, the script is very careful not to advise somebody to withhold payment, but to make it very clear that if they, they want somebody to talk to, they're going to have to talk to that servicer and take that servicer's word that that servicer has the right to service that loan. And they're going to have to go by the rules that the servicer lays down, which is you've got to be at least 90 days behind before you're going to be considered. All of that is pure bunk. It never existed, and it doesn't exist now. But most people don't realize that, and are not equipped to deal with these issues. And once you go into battle with the services, still, the statistics are still in favor of the banks and services, where judges who are now rethinking their positions are still coming down on the side of the so-called bank, even though there's no evidence that they have any economic interest in the deal, and in fact are, or maybe, uh, uh, stealing money and property and rights from the investors from whom they got money for mortgage-backed securities issued by a trust which had no mortgages. And it didn't have any mortgages because the trust never got the money. So the trust was never able to pay to acquire those loans. And instead, the investment banks were able to sell those loans whatever they were, those obligations, over and over again. Many judges have been asking two questions for years, as I wrote this morning, as they give the banks the benefit of the doubt, but they're still getting increasingly troubled, and you can work on the judges uh, in connection with these questions that I, uh, I've personally heard judges ask. Why is the modification process so enigmatic and random? And why are there not more modifications or workouts like it used to be in civil courts and bankruptcy courts when times were bad? It was always in the lender's interest to settle the matter, not take possession of the property, and at least recover a substantial portion of their investment and the reason is you're not dealing with the people whose money are in the deal and the second question is why are we seeing this that the judges are asking in fact one judge uh, specifically asked me to raise the issue in a pleading why are we seeing this shell game with first some bank or other entity claiming it is the owner of the loan and denying even the existence of the Remick Trust. Remember that from 2007, 2008? Then they admit the existence of the trust and claim the loan is owned by the trust. Well, that turned out to be not true. Then they say the servicers have the right to foreclose and not the trusts or the investors. And then they keep switching servicers and investors like a merry-go-round. To the judges that are asking these questions, it looks like a shell game. But without appropriate pleading and evidence, they can't rule on it. They're not legislators, they're judges. 
So they can't rule on it, and they can't get the answers to their own questions. The truth has emerged in many cases where it was determined that the trust never owned the subject loan or any loan. And remember, for those of you who have been to court, you don't see the trust ever coming to court. It's always the so-called servicer. The self-appointed servicer shows up with a robo-witness that is a corporate representative of the servicer. Many cases decided in favor of the borrower, and there are thousands of them, show that the servicer is A, not a servicer because it neither accepts nor pays money in connection with the processing of the loan, and B, not authorized to act as a servicer even with fabricated powers of attorney introduced in court. Well, I hope I've covered the majority of the questions out there so that I don't have to spend the next seven days straight on the phone 24-7. I will take a couple of questions here. Uh, area code 714, uh, first three digits 404. What is your question? Uh, what happens if uh, um, you, you file the rescission and, uh, like you, you mentioned earlier in the call, um, they don't respond? How do you then clear your title? Your clearing, clearing title, basically the legal term for that is quieting title. It's a uh, It's really a declaratory action where you're asking the judge to declare the rights and duties of the parties. And in the case where the rescission was sent and received, the, well, even if you could just show that it was sent, the note and mortgage are void. And therefore, if the mortgage is void, not voidable, then the court doesn't have much choice but to declare that that mortgage is no longer in the chain of title. There are all. Can you do that immediately on day 21, or um, or after they've received the the uh, rescission, or do you have to wait for one year? No. If you wait one year, you lose the right to enforce the rescission, uh, but you don't lose the rescission itself. The the note and mortgage are still void, but you lose the right to go after all the money that they ever collected from you and all the money that was paid in compensation for the origination of the loan. The, um, uh, the timing of when to file that depends on a variety of factors, but generally speaking, I don't recommend that anybody uh, attempt that in less than uh, uh, 30 days. Um, well, we're kind of running out of time, but let me see what I can do here with area code 770, first three digits, 205. Yeah, Neil, just a quick question. Uh, can you tell me, I know you've spoken before about uh, Washington Mutual and uh, 908. Is there a way to find out what that means as a, uh, as a 908 WASH client? The... And the only way for me to, to get into that would be a lot longer than what I could do here. Let me let me just say that Washington Mutual uh, 
started off as a normal bank and eventually evolved into a sham. And uh, uh, out of the uh, 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 trillion dollars in uh, total loans that were uh, uh, supposedly originated by Washington Mutual, nearly all of them were sold into the secondary market and then treated as though they were part of securitized trusts. And I'm sorry that I don't have more time to answer that question, but we are running out of time. I thank all of you for your support and for your contributions. I've been getting a lot of good information from you guys, and I appreciate it a lot. And uh, we will see you again. Thanks for listening to our broadcast. We hope that you tell your friends about us and let them know that there is hope and help in this financial crisis. Tune in every week to The Neil Garfield Show for free information and advice and visit our blog daily at The Living Lines Blog. We provide support services, the latest strategies, analysis, expert consultations, testimony and declarations to use in your battle against the largest economic crime in human history. For information concerning Neil, the team at Living Lies, or the law firm, go to www.livinglies.wordpress.com or call 520-405-1688. The opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the host and should not be attributed to any other person or entity.